Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. We are so glad that you're here. Today I want to talk to you and bring you a message entitled, The God of Another Chance. And I want to start in the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews 11, most of you, have, if you've read your Bible, you know this is the chapter where God talks about all the great men and women of faith who've done great things. Abraham's in there. Joshua is in there. David is there. And it talks about these men and women who believe God for phenomenal things to happen. Right? And then in the 12th chapter, which is right after the 11th chapter, right? All right. It says, therefore, that's how it starts, therefore. Now, now all of you theologians tell me when there's a th therefore in the Bible, what do you need to do? You need to find out what it's there for. All right. And what it's there for is it's connecting chapter 11 to chapter 12. It says, because all these men and women of faith, listen, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Right. Now here's what it's, it's painting this picture that all these men and women in heaven, they're, they're looking over the banister of heaven and they're watching you, right? He says, we've got this great cloud of witnesses, so let us set aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So up in heaven, Abraham, Abel, Joshua, Moses, Noah, they're all looking out over the, over the banisters of heaven and they are watching us run our spiritual race, right? And they're up there going, go, pray more, fast, resist the devil, make a confession, believe God. They're up there shouting. How many ever been at a game, a basketball game, football game, something, and you got somebody next to you watching and they've got words for the referee, they've got words for the players, they're, they're just shouting. Ever been there? Wave at me. All right. Well, that's what's kind of what's going on. Up in heaven, we got Abraham. We got Noah. We got David. We got Isaiah. They're all looking out over heaven and they're watching you. And they're like, rebuke the devil. Believe God. Resist that temptation. Come on. All right. They're shouting. They're, they're excited. All right. They're cheering us on. We're running our spiritual race. All right. Now, what I want to do today is I want to kind of like call out one of these guys, right, that are watching us. I want to look at his life and, and learn from what he did. You see, because they learned how to believe God. And how many of you know some of them made mistakes, right? And how many of you know you can even learn from what somebody does wrong? You really can. You, you, can, you can say, man, they did that. That was a mess, right? And I want to talk to you about Jonah. Now, now, Jonah is known for his bad decisions. He's known for getting himself in a mess, right? And because of that, I identify, is there anybody besides me that has made a few bad decisions? Right? And, in, and in the, you know, you reap the result of those decisions, but you can learn by, by watching somebody make a bad decision that you don't want to do it. In fact, I got a video here of a few bad decisions and uh, don't make these same mistakes. Well, check this out. A good decision. There, top of the hill, as you see him coming down, there he is. He's going to do this ginormous jump, 
and I don't think he's gonna make it. Oh, he didn't. Oh, 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 and that very hurt, and that really did hurt. <laughs> he's even smiling about it. This is not smart. This is just not smart. All right, you make a bad decision, all right? That doesn't mean it's over. In fact, in Hebrews 4, verse 1, Translator's New Testament says this. It says, the one thing that we should fear is that any one of you should think they have missed their chance. The lie the devil will tell you is that you have done too much, you've gone too far, it's been too long, and you cannot get back to God. You can't get right with God. God's never going to bless you, never going to use you. It is a lie. So let's take a look at Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And it said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. So God says, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians are the enemies of Israel. Right? Now, Assyria would be in northern Iraq today. That's where, where Nineveh would be. And these, the, the Assyrians, they are a scourge on the planet Earth. They are the ISIS of their day. They're cruel. They have no compassion. They're beheading. They're raping. They're plundering. They're pagan. And, and Jonah despises them. Right? They're like Ronald Reagan in the 80s said, you know, the evil empire. Well, the Assyrians really were the evil empire. But here's the thing. Nona despises them, but God loves them. God loves them. In fact, God is reaching out to them. You know, the Bible actually says this. It says that God wills that all men repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is for everybody to get right with him. Everybody to get saved. But Jonah, he doesn't have God's heart. And, and he doesn't want God to have mercy on them. So what God's wanting him to do is go to the Northeast. So, so what he does is he goes to the Northwest. Actually, he goes to the Southwest. He goes the exact opposite direction. He heads towards Tarsus. Now, Tarsus, they, they tell us, was on the, the coast of Spain. And he's going as far in the opposite direction as he possibly can. But then the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lower parts of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. Now, Every decision that you make costs you something. You'll notice it says that he went down and he paid the fare, right? Now, what, what the, the cost at this point is simply they're throwing the cargo overboard and the mariners are fighting for their life. But where is Jonah? Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. Jonah is not participating. Now, sometimes we, we have compassion for somebody and we're trying to help them. Right? We're doing everything that we possibly can. You know, they, they, may be, they, they may just be in strife. They, they may be addicted to drugs or alcohol or gambling. We're, we're trying to help them, but they don't want help. They don't want help. You can work your tail off, but it doesn't make any difference because they have no desire to change. 
And right now, Jonah's decision to run from God is costing the people around him tremendously. And every decision that you make does not just affect you. We have got this idea in Western culture that we are just an individual. And what we do affects us and nobody else. That the, the, the song, I'm a rock, I'm an island. Right? But it is not true. Your decisions do not just affect you. In fact, God in Deuteronomy 30 says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. God's saying your decisions don't just affect you. Your decisions affect your family. Your decisions affect the people around you. And Jonah's decisions are affecting the sailors. He doesn't care. He's down in the bottom of the boat. He's fast asleep. Everybody else is working, trying to do something. He is totally unaware of the impact of his decisions on other people. Right? And a lot of people are like that. And when somebody does not want help, you cannot help them. Uh, something, something needs to wake them up. And, and this has happened not 10 times, not 20 times, not 30 times. This has happened so many times. I, I, I don't want to put a number on it, but I'll have a man. He'll come up and he'll say something like this. He says, my wife left me. And, and he's like, he's like clueless. Right. He doesn't know why. Right. He, for, 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 for decades, he has spent no time with her, didn't value her, didn't appreciate her, didn't talk to her, didn't listen to her. And when it, and then all of a sudden something happens and he's like, duh. I want, I want, I want to help all the men here. All right. Uh, get your pad out. You want to write this down. All right. I want to tell you the most romantic words that you can ever say to a woman. This will open her heart, all right? You are gonna get, you're gonna get mega points, you understand? Right. So get ready, all right. These are the key to her heart, the most romantic words. Got it? And then what happened? <laughs> She didn't leave you because you didn't buy her a new house. She left because you wouldn't talk. You wouldn't listen, right? But, but, but like they're clueless, right? Every decision carries an impact. You know, you make your decisions, but your decisions make you. And your decisions, very often, they, they bring you closer to God or they take you farther away from God. You know, that's why God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. In fact, God is, is like the father in the story of the prodigal. The prodigal is left, but the father is waiting. He's looking down the road. And when he sees his son afar off, the Bible says he gets up, he runs to his son. He throws his arms around him and he receives him back. He said, hey, he said, kill the fatted calf, put a new garment on it, put a ring on his finger, put new sandals on his feet. God is waiting. When we make a move towards God, God is waiting. God is running to meet us. But now Jonah is in a storm. There's a crisis, right? He wakes up and he does the first thing that he does right. He takes responsibility. This is really a key. He says, this is my bad. He said, I'm running from God. And the reason this storm is here is because of me. And the sailors say, well, what do we need to do? And he says, pick me up and throw me 
into the ocean. And when you do, the sea will be calm. He said, because I know this great tempest, it's because of me. He takes responsibility. He, mis- he, he admits, look, I have been wrong. Proverbs 28, 13. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he will get another chance. You know, God is the God of another chance, another opportunity. John Wooden, the great coach, said this, you're not a failure until you start blaming others for your mistakes. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to repent. Now, the, the, the re- repentance is not what most people think it is. Most people think that repentance is saying to God, I am sorry. All right. I, I remember years ago, I was praying and I was, I was, God, I said, I'm sorry, God, I repent. I'm, I'm sorry. I repent. I repent. And God said, no, you don't. Just in my heart. It's like, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. I repent. I repent. And God's like, no, you don't. God, I'm sorry. And God said to my heart, he said, you're sorry that I don't like your sin. Because you like it. And you wish I liked it. But I don't, so you're sorry I don't like it but you have not repented because repentance is not being sorry. Repentance is not an emotion. Repentance, listen, is a decision. See, we we think when somebody cries that they repent, maybe, but crying is not necessary for repentance. A change of mind is necessary. That's what's necessary, a change of mind. Repentance literally means to be going in one direction and have a change of mind and turn around and start to go in a different direction. If you're not going in a different direction, you have not repented. If you keep doing it, you haven't repented. You're sorry. That's worldly sorrow. The Bible says which produces death. There's godly sorrow which produces repentance. A change of mind that brings about an outward change of action and direction. Well, that's what happened to Jonah. Now, he's thrown overboard, all right? Now, here's the thing. Here, here, here. I, I love this part, this part of the story. He is thrown into the sea. Now, when he was thrown in the sea was not when God found out he was going to get thrown in the sea. Right? God knew beforehand. For example, in Romans 8, it says, whom he foreknew, all right? And theologians call this the foreknowledge of God. Now, this is what it means. It means that you and I, we're finite and we're confined by time, right? But God is not, right? God is not confined by time. God created time and God can travel through time. And so what God does, God looks ahead and he sees what's going to happen. So nothing that ever happens to you or me is a surprise to God. Now you look at it and you go, ah, you're surprised. But God's not surprised, right? God knew it was going to happen. Now, not only did God know that it was going to happen, but God prepares ahead of time for it. So the Bible says that God prepared a great fish to swallow Noah. But no matter what you and I are facing, God prepares ahead of time. Now, for example, 
In, in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, he said, take your son Isaac, go up to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice. No, God doesn't want his son, but he wants him to be willing. So he gets there, he's got his son on the altar. He's got that, 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 that Arabian knife, you know, the one that's kind of like that banana curve. And he's got that thing lifted. He's ready to kill his son. And God says, stop. He says, now I know that you really love me. And the Bible says, Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees in a thicket a little ways away, there's a ram that's caught by its horns. Right? And that's the sacrifice. And this is, what, this is what Abraham says. He says, Jehovah Jireh. And we used to sing a song, Jehovah Jireh, you know, the Lord will provide. That's not what it means. This is what it means. This is what he literally said. He said, God looks ahead and provides. He looks ahead and provides. You see, you, will ne you and I, we will never face a situation that is a surprise to God. And we will never face a situation that God has not already looked ahead and provided. Right? He always does. Every single time. When Esther was queen and Haman was trying to kill all of the, of the Hebrews, of the Jews, she was confronted and they said, for if you're completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. God had another plan. There was Esther, she was a plan. God had another plan. God always has a plan, right? God's always prepared ahead of time. So that great fish comes up and whoosh, swallows him up, all right? Now, listen, when you make a bad decision, God is waiting at the point of crisis to rescue you, all right? God loves you that much. And here's the truth. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Nothing you can do to make him love you less. Because God is love. So he prepares that great fish. Now, I know some people have a problem with that. Uh, I fished in the Pacific. I fished in the Atlantic. I fished in the Gulf. And I fished in Australia. And, and, and in Australia, Jeannie and I, we were in a boat with, with Pastor Sean and a couple people from his staff. And we've got whales around us coming up. I mean, these whales are like three or four times bigger than our boat. And I'm like, I fished enough, let's go to shore. I mean, I've got, I've got no problem believing that God can prepare a fish big enough to swallow somebody up. In fact, Jesus said, like Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of fish, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Jesus believed that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, by a great fish that God prepared. Now, I'm just going to tell you this about me, all right? When somebody predicts their death and the resurrection and pulls it off, I just believe anything they say. That's just where I'm at, all right? So, so when, when the Bible says he prepared the fish, the fish came, swallowed him up, I'm just all over it. I'm like, okay, I got it, all right? Now, he is in the fish. And when he's in the fish, he starts to pray. And he actually repents, has a change of mind, decides to change his direction. He prays. He says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay the vow that I vowed. Salvation's of the Lord. This is what he's saying. He said, God, if you will get me out of this fish, I will go to Nineveh. I'll preach. I'll do whatever you want me to do. God, just get me out of this place. Right? He turns around. He repents. And God says to that fish, get rid of that guy. So the fish swims over towards shore and burps, burps him out. 
He didn't leave him in the ocean. He put him on shore. He didn't want any other fish to have to have that contaminated prophet on the inside. He just wanted to get rid of him. So he's now on dry land. Listen, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the message that I tell you. God tells him the exact same thing he told him two chapters before. Now, he's had a ride in a fish, and I know he looks bad. He's got seaweed in his hair. He's got those digestive juices that probably got him looking pretty bad, right? But he comes up, and God still loves him, still calls him, still uses him, still blesses him, still loves him. His grace is there. There's forgiveness, right? So Jonah rose. He went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was an exceedingly great city about three days journey. And he begins to preach and the Ninevites hear. The Ninevites repent, they turn to God and God graciously forgives. The Bible says that they were exceedingly great sinners against the Lord, but yet God forgave. A long time ago, there was a man who was sailing from the coast of West Africa to the Caribbean islands. He had a cargo load in the hull of his ship of slaves. And he had a praying mother back in England. And she was praying for him that he would abandon the wickedness that he was involved in, the slave trade, and turn to God. Because greed had consumed him. And he just made bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. As they would cross the sea, it was not uncommon for 25 even 30% of the slaves to die just on the journey. And he had heard during the day and the night their groanings and their crying out. But as they're crossing, they come into a tremendous storm. And he fears for his life. In fact, he said, I knew I was going to die. He said, and he cried out in desperation to God. And he said, God, have mercy on me. I am a terrible sinner. And as he's crying out, God reaches down and forgives that man. Now he repented. He turned around. He said the the cries and the groans and the men and the women and the children continued to haunt him. He later wrote a song entitled Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He pledged his life to end the slave trade. His name was John Newton, and he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. Now, he'd been going in one direction. He had a change of mind. He turns around, and literally, he does dedicate his life to end the slave trade. Slave trade. He, he helped William Wilberforce as he politically fought against slavery. He helped Hannah Moore as she socially and culturally fought slavery. He was an inspiration to John Wesley who preached the gospel and preached strong against slavery. John Newton had done terrible, terrible things involved in the slave trade, but God forgave him because he had not gone too far. Listen, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You get that? Much more abound. The devil says you've gone too far, you've done too much, 
it's been too long, but it is a lie. And do not let the bad choices define your life. Don't do it. Let Jesus define your life. And Jesus said this, excuse me, the word says this, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Bad choices did not disqualify Jonah. Bad choices did not disqualify John Newton. Bad choices did not disqualify Peter. Bad choices did not disqualify David when he committed adultery and murder. Bad choices did not disqualify Paul who murdered Christians. And do not let bad choices disqualify you. Don't let them define who you are because God's grace is there for you. Just like the prodigal son, the father was waiting and looking. He is waiting and looking for you. And I'd like you to take a look at a video of a redemption story right now. I really came to know Christ my freshman year in high school. And so uh, a friend of mine invited me to youth group one night and God just, uh, I had an encounter. I had an encounter with God. I went to a, a conference in Nashville, Tennessee. They invited me to go along. And I, I can remember just worshiping and in that time of worship, God audibly spoke to me. And all he said was, I have a call of music on your life. And I never forgot that, never lost sight of that. But then later on, uh, that sophomore year, my parents got divorced. And uh, my family unit, my home life kind of fell apart. Jared and I, we met in the third grade. Third grade, yeah. And we were good friends for a really long time. And then we started dating in high school. We kind of became each other's, um, you know, foundation for a while there because our home lives were so chaotic. You know, Alicia and I, uh, because we didn't have a lot of oversight, you know, at home. We just kind of leaned on each other in a lot of ways. And, and we just weren't living for the Lord. You know, we weren't uh, living the way we, we knew we should have been. I was at Grand Valley for a couple years. I think it was my sophomore year, junior year. And my parents, they were just starting to get sober, get clean again. They both went into rehab uh, for the second time. And they were watching Walking by Faith on TV. And so my mom suggested that I go check it out because the Res Life was right there next to Grand Valley State. I came to visit her one weekend and we both went for a Sunday morning service. And uh, we both responded to an altar call that Pastor Dwayne gave and we both responded and went down and, and we both rededicated our lives to Christ right there. Uh, we ended up moving in together. I moved over uh, to Grand Rapids, the Grand Valley area. Alicia was finishing up school and we were attending Rez Life regularly, you know, every Sunday. And I really wanted to be a part of the worship team. I auditioned for the worship band and, and Ken, he didn't know me at the time, but he said, man, we want to put you on the schedule this Sunday. But there's some things in your life that, that you got to get sorted out. You know, there's some things that we really need to, to get in line with God's word. And God, like, like he was sitting in the room with me, you know, so gently, so direct. He said, this is what I have for you, son, but you have to put me first. I was, because of my fear of marriage, I knew Alicia was the woman for me, I knew it. Um, but because I was scared of marriage, I, I didn't want to jump off that cliff. And God 
just in that moment assured me that with him first, I had what it took to be a good husband, to be a good father. A month later, right, we, yeah. we got married. And then uh, I started to serve on the worship team. And so Alicia graduated from Grand Valley. We moved back to the east side to be closer to our family. We were serving uh, on our worship team at our church in Lapeer, Michigan. I remember one night I was kind of just asking God, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, I, I went to the uh, Res Life Granville's uh, website and I, I was looking at the internship program online, just kind of doing some reading on it. And I think, you know, visiting the website, looking at that internship stuff, God was just planting those seeds of, of the next assignment he had for us. And uh, we did it. We got lined everything up. We came over, did an internship. That's how we ended up at Restore Church. God brought us to Ionia, Michigan, where we've been serving as worship pastors there for the last almost six years. Yep. <laughs> so now we're, we're blessed with four amazing kids. Yep. I never would have thought that God would call us into full-time ministry, um, but he, he has. So every time we get on the platform and we're worshiping, you know, it's out of that heart of gratitude. I, I hope and pray we never lose that because we have so much to sing about, so much to be grateful for. You know, now almost 10 years after our journey and how God has used Resurrection Life Church uh, to really push us into what he's made us to do, you know, from serving on the worship team under Ken as a percussionist to an internship to being sent out now we're just so excited to be back, to be coming back to the place where it really all began. God lines things up. We're just in pursuit every day. God, I, I don't have it all together. I don't know it, the exact steps I should take, but I know you know. And so, Lord, I just want to follow you. You're never disqualified from what God's made you to do. Put him first, pursue him first, and watch what he does, because he does amazing things.
Revelation 3.20. Keep, keep playing, guys. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. It's the door of your heart. He said, if you will open, he said, I will come in. If you're here today, you're not right with God. You know you're not right. You know you're away from God. You say, I want to get right. I want to come back. It may be that you've drifted away. It may be you've never given your life. You've never received the forgiveness God has for you. But you say, I want to be right with God. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. We're going to pray. When we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be back. The Father, just like the prodigal's father, is waiting for you to throw his arms around you. There is forgiveness. There's deliverance. There's release. There's peace. There's joy. Jesus said, I've got that abundant life for you. When I say three, lift that hand. As you lift your hand, the first thing that you're saying to God is, God, I know I need forgiveness. And I'm coming to the only one who can give me that forgiveness. I'm coming to Jesus today. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, I'm turning my back on my old life. I'm repenting. I'm going in a new direction today. Two. Get ready. As you lift that hand, you say, today I'm opening that door of my heart to Jesus. And he's going to come in. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three. Lift it up high. Just say, that's me. That's me. Just lift it up. Say, thank you. See that hand? See that hand? And 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 that hand? That hand? And that hand? And another up in the balcony. Could you just lift him up high? Thank you. God bless 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 you. Are there others? Thank you. Way in the back to my left. Thank you. Right over here in this section, next to the sound booth. Another hand in the back. More hands to my right. Right. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. But if you lifted your hand, would you please look right at me? Would you move to the aisle that's nearest you? Bring your purse, the person you came with, whatever you need. But come right down here from the balcony. Please make your way down. We will wait for you. We're going to pray. And this is going to be a powerful, powerful moment. God is going to do a miracle in your life. The God of another opportunity. Where sin abounds, his grace does much, much more abound. It breaks sin's power, breaks its hold, takes away that guilt. God takes our sin and gives his righteousness. Come on down. Again, from the balcony, if you'll make your way, we'll wait. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, everybody, want you to let, want everybody to listen a minute. Now, I want you to turn, everybody, turn to the person that's on your right and the person that's on your left. Even if you're with Billy Graham, I want you to talk to them, all right? And this is what you say. You say, are you right with God? And they're going to tell you the truth. Because you're in church, you're not going to lie, right? They're going to tell you the truth. And if they're not right, they're going to say, no, I'm not. And you'll say, I'll go down with you. And you bring them down. But right now, turn to the person on your right, the person on your left, please. Invite them all the way from the balcony. Thank you for coming. Awesome. Come on down. That's it. Come on. Come on. Bring them down. Bring them. Bring them. They're not where they need to be. You bring them. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome again. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
This is what it says. It says, whosoever, that means you. This is going to work for every single one of you. It says, we'll call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to, right? And God has a promise at the end. Look what it says, will be saved. When we say amen, you're forgiven. You're right with God. Your past, it is going to be gone, all right? So everybody, please. Oh, they're still coming. Come on now. Give them a hand. Awesome. Awesome. Remember this, God can't lie. He says, you do this with your heart. You just make these words your own. When we say amen, you're going to be right with God. Everybody, please take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven and let's pray together. You say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sin. And I believe he rose again. And I receive him today as my Lord and master. I'm gonna live for him every day. And I thank you that you've heard this prayer, that my past is gone, that I am forgiven, that you make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.